0: Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now onto the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you. you find us here
1: Moving Iron
0: Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 113 my, Today my guests are A.J. Neifert and Dustin Hagen of Iron Connect They've been guests on here before and to be honest with you I, didn't, I couldn't go back far enough to find them I think they were maybe one of my first five guests here um, When they first started doing this So, um, Guys, welcome back to the show and thanks for being on Thanks, Casey. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. All right, so for those that you aren't, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Iron Connect and what it is, Iron Connect is a a website designed for basically uh, dealer and wholesale traffic, um, and that's where it's kind of a, a a a message board or a posting board, I guess, for uh, machines that are for sale and guys that are looking for for help on what something might be worth and so on and so forth. So these guys are pretty well dialed into pretty much all of North America. They got Canadian dealers all the way through down into Texas and coast to coast, border to border, all through Canada. So they're pretty well dialed in as to what uh, what the markets are looking like. So if uh, I didn't butcher that, too bad. You guys got anything you want to add to uh, to what Iron Connect is?
2: No, I think you've uh, you've pretty much summed it up. So basically, what we do from a thirty thousand foot view is we've created a marketplace for equipment dealers regardless of brand uh, to come together to buy sell trade you know equipment and parts on a private wholesale network so you have to be a dealer to be on board we don't let any end users on so everything that comes on is is wholesale and then turn around and uh, be able to have some margins to, to make some money to the end users
0: right on okay so let's start talking about some stuff there's a lot of trends that i've been paying attention to a lot of things that i've been tracking trying to make sure that i'm staying on top of my game here but um The first one that i that i want to dive into is the combine market uh take a look at the combine market right now and and it feels like there are less combines on on the market now than there were probably a year or two ago Um, but for the most part uh it feels like it's a very stagnant marketplace for this time of the year when you would feel like there would be some fairly decent action in combines especially with the age of the combines that are out there running right now that there should be some people thinking, you know, instead of me spending X number of dollars on my, my machine, maybe I should look at taking that same amount of money and, and upgrading. What are you guys seeing in the combine market, and, and where do you see it heading?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, in looking at our data, Casey, that was one of the things we, we noticed um, studying kind of the end of quarter three and then the quarter four. We saw a real uptick in the amount of combines that were posted. Dealers looking to wholesale those machines. It was up 30 to 40% over last year. Um, but what we didn't see on the flip side was we didn 't see a comparable trend of dealers looking to buy coming up and so um, you know combines definitely seem to be stale um, and we have uh, you know a lot of dealers that are that are commenting that that 's making them nervous um, One of the things we 're hearing out there up in in western canada uh, there's a there's a sale actually going to happen today at Ritchie brothers auction and there's going to be fifty nine combines on that sale. Uh, 56 of which are John Deere combines 25 of those are S690s and that's making a lot of guys nervous and what's going to happen you know that's going to end up with 59 fewer fewer buyers walking into a dealership and so yeah I think the combine market is stale and and guys are a little nervous about what's going to happen here at the end of the year.
0: Have you noticed that trend throughout the year or do you think it's just kind of a slow slowly been compiling to what you see now?
1: Yeah you know as far as kind of a year over year comparison that the trend was kind of on track for what we've seen before uh up until again um kind of the beginning of the third quarter and and coming into the fourth quarter and so um you know our our numbers show that it was it was kind of where we had seen it before but now we really saw that spike um and it's it's shifted over the last 3 to 4 months
0: is it more class 8 class 9 stuff that's piling up or is it more um is it more class 7 stuff like what do you see that 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 kind of that that pile of happening
2: yeah i would say it's more the class eight and the nine stuff i mean when we talk about things that are getting posted when we see the uptick that tells us that dealers have more of these that are on the market they're trying to find homes for them so when they are posting them out on our site they've exhausted those retail options they're not getting activity, um and then it comes onto the wholesale market probably before it tries to hit before it ends up on an auction but yeah we're we're seeing more of the eights and nine stuff
0: how about front end equipment? So you start taking a look at like corn heads, flex drapers, those kind of things. Um, Where are you, are you seeing some, some similar action there? Do you think, or is there more guys that are updating that stuff and, and trying to get by with the they got?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, it's not, it's following the same trend as, as the rest of um, the equipment. There maybe a, a little bit of difference, it's, it's, but it's not as pronounced as we've seen the, the combine data. Um, you know, and that just could be, Result of what we're what we're getting on, on the market, but we weren't seeing the difference, the spike like we saw with overall machines.
0: Yeah, and I kind of feel like that too. One of the things that I, I am paying attention to that, and and maybe it's me just being paranoid, and sometimes I feel like I'm overly cautious on certain things. But the one thing I've been watching and I've been paying attention to for the last couple of years, and just trying to see how it's going to play out with the with the number of machines that were produced two thousand twelve, thirteen, fourteen and how that looked and the number of machines that were produced in 15 16 17 and you know 18 uh that late model low hour stuff is hard to come by um that mid-level stuff is even harder to come by and it's pretty much a giant gap till you get to the three thousand plus hour machines um on are you guys seeing that i mean it feels like to me there's a there's a a fairly decent amount of equipment in that zero to five hundred hour range, whether it be a tractor or a combine, <clears throat> whatever you might be talking about. And then you don't have a whole lot once you get past about a thousand hours. And then when you get to uh you know, fifteen hundred hours, it kind of really falls off and then there's you really don't see much out there till you get to that that twenty five hundred hour combine or that that thirty five hundred hour tractor, and then it starts to pick back up again as far as population goes. Do you see? Do you feel that when you look at your website, or do you, or do you, is that just something I'm making up?
2: No, our our data would certainly support that. Um, you know, we see this in what you know our pre trade offers. So those units that customers are coming in trying to trade to the dealer, um, we see mainly there being two kind of areas that that late and low stuff, um, which tends to be those competitive units. So a case dealer is working to flip the John Deere guy out of his tractor, and it's a 2017 with 250 hours on it. Um, that tends to be a lot of the late and low. We then see a major shift towards exactly what you're talking about, those machines that are the higher-hour stuff, um, 2,500, 3,000 hours. So there's a big kind of – those are the two main chunks that we see on those pre-trade offer pieces of it. Um, the the units that do fall in between that, the the one to 2,000-hour machines, those tend to get some real strong bids and, and, and do quite well just because there's guys that, like you're saying, have holes in the inventory mix and they're needing to fill those gaps, and so those are great options for them to do that. But, no, our, our data would certainly align with what you're feeling, uh, you know, seeing some of those things where a lot of those 12-, 13-, 14-hour machines are coming back with some pretty high hours on them.
0: When I take a look at the market now, I do feel like it's a lot like uh... – Kind of a repeat of 2010, 2011, um, where you had it was kind of is the ramp up into what, in the, into the huge grain markets we had that ran through twelve, thirteen, fourteen. You know those those massive massive upticks there we've had, and it was a uh, it was but everything was on the other end of the spectrum. Everything was that late model, low hour stuff because everybody was trading their stuff every year. You know, and there was a pile up there. Do you feel like there could be a Pretty I mean, obviously there's gonna be a premium on the on the late model low-hour stuff But how do you think that's going to affect the stuff that is on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you're looking at 350 $400,000 used combines, you know 350,000 $300,000 full drives $300,000 real crop tractors, and then you have this like massive drop-off to a $70,000 9770 you know, I mean, how do you think that? How do you think that spread is going to work, and how is that balance going to come out?
2: Uh, I guess if we had the, the the exact answer to that, we'd we'd be worth a lot of money. I don't know. <laughs> we, we we maybe don't have the, uh, the magic gate ball on that. Well, I was hoping you had uh, it because I wanted it so I, I could that, get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the million dollar question. Uh, certainly, uh, that that's the problem I think everybody's dealing with. I, I wish I had the exact answer for you, but I, I don't think we'd. Uh, we could quite give you
0: that yeah I'm kind of worried about the fact that there's going to be a uh, a premium obviously there's going to be a premium on the late, late model low hour stuff and I think some guys are gonna jump the proverbial shark a little bit here and and put too much money in some of that stuff uh, until they really see how that market's gonna settle out um, I just man I'm just worried about I worry about the price of used equipment and where it's going in that gap, because there's nothing in the middle. It's either you want to it really feels like either you're buying a three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars something, or you're buying a hundred thousand or a, a fifty thousand dollars something. And there's that gap in the middle. It's just there's not a lot there in that space.
2: Yeah, I think some people are trying to, you know, obviously there are some things where you've got some pieces that maybe you're, you're into or too much, or you're looking for to find that. You know, we are seeing some guys do some swapping. Um, you know, some people are more, more, more prone to horse trading than others. But knowing, hey, here's my product, here's my inventory right now. Here's, here's where I'm heavy. Here's where I'm not. And, and trying to go find and just trade their way into making a better product mix across the board. Um, you know, it doesn't solve every problem, but does it make the inventory a little bit more marketable and, and fill in some of those gaps? I think that's that's probably one of the ways around it um that we're seeing some guys have some
0: success with so if i'm a if i'm a dealer listening to this right now and i'm not on iron connect which i don't know if there's any dealers out there that aren't on iron connect and that would shock me if there weren't but um because if you're not on this pro if you're not on this uh, platform folks you're uh it's the best money you're ever going to spend because it opens you up to just a sea of of opportunity to do what just like what they were talking about there what aj was talking about going out there and, and horse trading and, and getting your way to what you need in your inventory. We do it all the time, all the time. Aaron and I do that all the time here. Uh, mostly Aaron more than me, but um, we do it. Uh, we do it all the time. And it's, it's the best way to do it. So if I'm a dealer and I'm listening to this, AJ and Dustin, give me an example of what I'm going to find on that website.
2: Yeah. You're, you're going to find a mix of, of pretty much everything. Um, you know, we've got, We've got large multi-store dealers, kind of like you guys, all the way down to a, a one-store independent. Um, you know, the benefit of what we do is, is we've tried to break down all of those silos. And so, you know, I know the guys around me, I know the people in my rolodex, but I don't know every dealer across North America, and I don't know the guys that specialize in certain types of equipment. And so, when you've got a piece that you're a looking to to try to move, or you need to find a home for, or you're looking to buy. We're going to connect you with with every dealer in North America and help make sure we get that in front of of the, the people that are going to be able to fill that order or or potentially that buyer for for the home for the piece that you don't want. So that's that's kind of where we look to fill that gap. We we don't participate in the in the end user the retail market. There's great avenues and there's there's great things for that. But where we come into play is is really trying to to break down those silos and put everyone who's in this business of buying and selling and trading on one marketplace to where they can find the piece they need or, or get the piece moved, uh, you know, and mitigate some
0: of that risk. The one thing I like about, about you guys, a site that I, that I use utilize quite a bit and, and, and so does everyone else that I, that I work with here. When I have a case piece, for example, you know, we're a John Deere dealer. So I have a case piece we trade in. Um, I'm not a case expert, um, I'm barely a John Deere expert, but they have, a. It's easy for me to get on there and, and connect with other case dealers and try to find someone to either a help me with the value on that piece or b um, go out and uh, try to see if they want to trade something they have green on their lot for my red piece. You know, it works out well for us, and and I think uh, I applaud you guys for putting this together because it's a uh, it's been a uh, it's been a game changer, I think, in the industry. So my hats off to you guys for putting this thing together.
2: We uh, we certainly appreciate that.
0: All right, so let's talk about. The four-wheel drive market here a little bit, that's the other, other end of the spectrum of machinery that, that I have a little bit concerned concern about. So I'm looking at the four-wheel drive market, and I, my opinion, in the last two years, the four-wheel drive market's been a pretty stagnant thing. I think we saw a little spike up maybe, maybe 18 months ago, um, where, where guys were going out and getting more four-wheel drives. I had PTOs and three points and those kind of things that we'd seen in the past. Um, what's your feel for the four-wheel drive market, and how do you see it shaping up?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, and looking at the numbers on that, we're we're seeing kind of what you're sharing there. We've seen a, a downtick. Um, you know, we've seen more more come onto the market um, from a guys trying to wholesale them standpoint, but we're not seeing people looking for them from a, from a want to buy standpoint, or even from a pre trade offer. You know, we're typically going to be looking at the whole high horsepower um, category. Now, our, our mix usually ends up being a lot of a lot of four wheel drives, but they're they're you know, that's what we're seeing on, on our data. Um, you know, obviously there's still some end of year left to see what happens, but, um, our numbers are showing that same kind of a 25 to 30% um, difference in what we would have saw last year.
0: Another trend that I've kind of been paying attention to on the full drive market is it feels like more and more, <clears throat> more and more machines have to have a, a PTO for sure. Um, a three point is in a lot of cases, uh, a, uh, not a must, but it sure is something I'd like to have type of thing. Um, Do you feel like that bareback tractor has become a bit obsolete in the, in the marketplace?
2: I I think, yeah, we're seeing more and more of that. When we, you know, we talk about some of our, our Western Canadian dealers. I mean, if that doesn't have a high flow pump on it, it's not even worth, you know, the time of day really. So a lot of that, you know, certainly happens, you know, some benefit with, with the bareback stuff is, you know, we have, we do have some construction dealers on here as well um, on our construction side and and that's helped a little bit with some of those guys maybe utilizing some pieces over there but yeah on the ag application if you know especially in some of those other areas if we don't have
0: that that or the high flow pump on some of those just they're tough yeah that's for sure man that, that the high flow pump thing especially with the the uh hydraulic demands of uh some of the newer equipment these 50 foot air seeders and 60 foot air seeders and and just just the hydraulic capacity of equipment anymore just because of the sheer size of it it is that is beginning to be a bigger and bigger and bigger issue on that that high flow pump where do you see the demand at for row crop tractors um it feels like to me i can't hardly give away a, a small for a small row crop anymore um everything is really transitioned into that mid horsepower to that high end of the horsepower range in those row crops are you seeing the same thing on your site more and more Three hundred plus horsepower activity on those row crops.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that that's what we're seeing. Again, it's it's following that same trend we're seeing with with larger tractors. Um, and so uh, I, I think we would we would agree agree with you on that, Casey. That's what our data's showing.
0: There's an the hour range there again. I feel like the hour range is kind of the same thing, where there's a a fair amount of of those lower end hour or lower hour tractors out there running around. Uh, that are showing up, but I feel like the biggest play for us, what what is go is on that like 2012 eight three sixty R with fifteen hundred hours, two thousand hours, twenty five hundred hours. I feel like there's a, a bit of a a demand for those machines uh, on that higher end of the spectrum than there are, say, on a combine or a uh, a four wheel drive. What do what do you guys see? Is Same seeing something different? Seeing the same thing?
2: Yeah, I, I I think that's probably pretty pretty relevant i don't think you're out of the you're not you're not the only one seeing that stuff for sure um so yeah we would we would
0: agree with that yeah because i think that lease is what my opinion is what's driving that 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 rig it's a uh it's a lower price machine and you can keep those payments pretty low and you can get a uh, you get 360 horsepower tractor out there to do, do some work so barring anything anything rolling in there which actually is a good transition into uh something else that i want to talk to you guys about you guys have teamed up with uh machinery scope which for those of you that don't don't, don't know machinery scope machinery scope is a uh, third-party warranty company i've done business with them great company um they do a lot of good stuff um they they will basically put a warranty on just about anything and and uh i mean there are some there are some stipulations in there but it's pretty broad so I want you guys talk about that a little bit and, and kind of fill everybody in on that partnership
1: yeah, so I um, appreciate that. You know, the, the partnership with Machinery Scope was just both of our companies wanting to help dealers uh, move inventory. And so they had a great product, and we had boots on the ground, and so it made a lot of sense to come together. You know, I think the biggest way that dealers are kind of utilizing those warranties, like you said, um, we're, we're able to put coverage on machines up to 5,000 hours. And so as we talk about these uh, this equipment coming back with high hours on it, you know, that's something we can help out with. Um, you know, really, to just provide a gap where maybe you don't, you can't get that from your OEM. Um, you know, our dealers, I think the the ones that are utilizing it, the biggest thing is, is you got to mitigate the risk, and so, uh, and, in, and that's going to come in two forms. It's both for the customer and for the dealership. You know, nobody wants to have to write off that forty to fifty thousand dollars shop bill. The farmer, he can't afford to take it, and you know, we hear from a lot of dealers, hey, that's not a hit that I want to take. And so, if we can, if we can help them out with the risk um, there, it, it's been a good tool. Um, You know, our job is just to make those machines more marketable on with with Iron Connect and with with Machinery Scope, and that product allows us to do it. And so, uh, I think dealers are understanding that. Hey, if uh, if I'm able to, whether it be on a retail front, a wholesale front, or an auction, if I've got coverage um, from an extended warranty, that machine is more marketable. Um, So that's I I think that you know those are some of the ways that the big thing right now um, we can put warranty on customer-owned units. And so, as as your sales guys are out there, and and that customer's not ready to trade in, where maybe in the past you go know, go back a few years ago, he would have been. Um, it, it's it's a talking point. It's a way to to help him out for the next 12 months, maybe 24 months, and get him coverage. Make, you know, there's there's certainly opportunity to make a little margin there as well. But then, from the shop perspective, you know, you talked about it. Everyone's doing end of year. Um, service inspections right now are end of season. And so uh, if, you, if you're already doing the inspection to be able to, to offer that to the customer, you know, if, if that does come back, if there is a claim, being able to have, you know, MSRP on parts and, and posted shop rates, that's a good deal for the service team as well. And so, um, you know, that's kind of some of the ways that our, our customers are utilizing that extended warranty, but it's been a great partnership. And, um, you know, we, we love having that available to our customers.
0: One thing I would definitely want to try to get implemented here is, is that, that winter service deal, you know, it's a it's a pretty simple thing simple season of use um, Kind of deal we can wrap it into our winter service program Got to bounce this off of all the powers that be and and get everybody's buying it But to me it makes a lot of sense, you know a guy comes in He's not gonna trade his machine in I can say hey I tell you what just for peace of mind We're gonna do all these things like that And if you do all these things and you get this warranty over here for the year and it covers all the major components of the powertrain And you know you drop an engine today. You're gonna to looking at 30 grand 40 grand some of these even some of these bigger tier four engines i don't care what what company you are what what manufacturer you are 60 to eighty thousand bucks to get one of those engines replaced you know and that's that's a pretty healthy bill to have kind of pop up on you all of a sudden you know a small house come come flying at you uh on on some of this stuff so um i think it's a must i think it's a it's a one of those things when you start talking to your customers you know talking about taking care of the customer offering that to them to me makes tons of sense and it's a it's kind of a no-brainer when you think about it especially for what it costs it's not it doesn't cost an arm and a leg to put that on there it's pretty it's a pretty reasonable amount of money for that peace
2: of mind yeah those those quotes i mean we can run those things those are completely free those quotes are going to stay good for 90 days and so if you have you know if anybody has any of those units they they want to get some coverage on or they're curious to see what that is you know they can go to the their iron connect and they can click on the Machinery Scope logo there. They can go to MachineryScope.com and get in any of those quotes, and we can we can do those all for free. But you're right; nobody nobody wants to take that thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar bill. The grower doesn't, and the dealership doesn't either. So this is a way to kind of protect both sides.
0: Absolutely. So another thing that on the Machinery Scope side that just popped up, I wasn't even aware of this until uh, you guys were out at the Las Vegas uh, Moving Iron Summit that there is a a finance arm of that. So talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, so there's some some more stuff we're going to be rolling out here over the uh, next month or two on that, but what we've been able to do is is put together a portfolio of lenders to to really go out and help customer. you know, help our dealer customers out with with making sure that every deal gets financed. So everybody has some options and all that and and that's great and we're not looking to replace any of those, but if you have a customer that's maybe suffered some some credit setbacks or you know, we're just looking for some different options out there on the market. Um, we've got some of the best lenders in the in the industry uh, in our portfolio, to where we're going to be able to give you the every option that's out there. So, really being kind of that internal F and I department, um, we can do that kind of virtually through through our partnerships with that. So we're really excited about it. More to come on that here probably in the next month or two, um, but. Uh, going to be another product we'll be rolling to the market.
1: You know, Casey, I'll, I'll jump in there real quick. Um, we, we actually saw something kind of interesting on the planter market. Um, you know, typically we're going to see a spike um, after the first of the year, and, and we actually saw that come early with our planters, um, and it was, it was a pretty large uptick, and, and you know, that, that kind of surprised us. There was uh, probably a 30% increase in planter demand um, that, that just kind of started in the last few weeks and is, has continued on. And so, um, you know, that was something with planners that we didn't expect. But when studying the data, we saw that there was a significant increase there. And, you know, um, we'll be curious to watch that as it goes through the rest of the year and then how it affects the, the usual uptick that we see in Q1.
0: What models are you seeing? I mean, not models. What year models are you are you paying attention to there? Are they are they the, the 15 to newer stuff or are they the older than 15 model stuff? I mean, what do you, What do you feel like that? that plays at right now?
2: Most of them were the newer stuff. Um, honestly, uh, you know, 1775 NTs, some lows. I mean, any all the way down from six-row planters all the way up to, you know, some DB-80s and things like that. So it's kind of a wide range. But, you know, to Dustin's point, it, it did kind of surprise us a little bit. Tend, that tends to fall after the first of the year for us. And for whatever reason, um, seeing a little more activity that
0: earlier on. That is weird. That I mean, it's not weird to have – planter sales this time of the year but it is it for it to be a, a, a major player in the marketplace is uh is a bit uncommon normally like you said it's that january february march time frame that you see those planners really start to roll those used ones like i said november december is not unnecessarily uncommon either but it's not like you see after the first of the year it's always that first three months of the year that you see that big spike in in a uh, planner great and what have you
2: coming through? You know, one of the things that's been exciting for us to do is we we have launched the construction side of our business as well. And and how that equates to ag dealers specifically is, you know, we're seeing guys that have maybe traditionally been, you know, 95% of an ag dealer and maybe just slightly played in the construction side. You know, some of that, some of that mix, maybe now they're 60, 40 construct, you know, ag versus construction, or even maybe more than that. But but some of those crossover pieces, those telehandlers, skid steers, you know, mini Xs, light, light wheel loaders, um, there are more buyers out there now with us being able to bring those construction guys onto it as well. So that's been kind of fun to see and, and how that that market's in a little different place than the ag pe- or the ag market currently. So kind of interesting to see, but uh, kind of fun.
0: Yeah, that's always something we're looking for too, man, is wheel loaders. You can't, you know, with our area that we're at with feedlots and moving big square bales and dairies and all that kind of stuff, the wheel loader is becoming a bigger player on the farm than it's been in, in well, not just the farm, but in, in big production ag um, than it's been probably in the past. There's always been a place for wheel loaders on the farm, but it just feels like it's getting to be a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger part uh, of, of the uh, production ag side. So um, definitely going to be checking that out and, and looking into that. You You are right, though. There is a place for that. That ag dealer that that dabbles in the construction side of the business, um, there is a uh, definite uh, definite need for smaller uh, excavators. For example, I mean you wouldn't think about that being a, at a as a as a farm guy, but you go on a farm, some of these bigger farms, and you can go around and see they have excavators laying around there that they use to do whatever they do with them, dig trenches to for irrigation lines or you know doing all kinds of Tree removal. I know one guy that bought one just for the sheer fact of going out and be able to take out trees. It doesn't use it for anything else other than that. It just sets out there and he needs to go dig up a tree or open up a pasture or something like that. His hired man goes out there for a couple days and clears out the trees so they can go out and, and turn it into a, a production field. So there is a, uh, there's a lot more play in, in the uh, construction side of the business than what people really think when it comes to
1: ag. We've been, you know, we've been traveling around dealership to dealership, driving by farms for the better part of the last twelve years, and uh, you see a lot more yellow equipment on uh, on those farms than than we ever did, you know, even even in twelve years ago when we started.
0: I knew a guy once that took a haul truck and just filled the bed up with grain, and then drove it back to wherever his dump pile was, and would just dump it, and then they would just then put it into the bins. After that, you know, so they were, but I mean, think about thirty-five tons worth of grain going out of a haul truck i mean you can put that's a that's a hell of a grain <laughs> cart
1: <laughs> uh, uh, that's got to be good on those county roads
0: it was a it was a gem so i was but it was uh he's also one of those big farmers that kind of owned all the ground kind of contiguously so he didn't really care too much i guess so one giant driveway i guess is how he looked at it but it was uh, a <clears throat> good times there but anyhow guys i appreciate you being on and If folks wanted to reach out and get a hold of you or talk to you about machinery scope stuff, what would be the best way to do that?
1: Yeah. So I think the best way, you know, if you're not already in touch with one of our reps, go to ironconnect.com and and you can reach out to AJ and I both have our contact information on there. Um, Obviously on the machinery scope website, um, you can contact those guys. uh, You you know, we're happy to help with that too, but the, you know, on their site, there's ways you can submit a quote really easy right on their site uh, or give them a call, happy to deliver that over the phone so um you know ironjack.com and, and machinery scope.com um w- we should be able to, to answer any of your questions
0: well aj and dustin i appreciate you guys being on and uh thanks for being such a support of mine throughout the years here and uh hope to uh, continue that relationship and uh, we'll talk to you again next time all right thanks, Casey. thanks Casey. It. well that's going to do it for this edition of the moving iron podcast Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at LLC. You can also send me an email at MovingIronPodcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Here you can find Morning Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out GlobalAgNetwork.com for more details and updates. You will be able to hear Dry Lion Farmer podcast, Girls Talk Ag, The Top Soil podcast, Ag News Daily, Working Cows, Heifer Please, and Throwback Iron. Please visit the movingironllc.com website. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Who in iron in the twenty-first century? hardwood